From Valley Public Radio, you're listening to COVID-19 This Week, San Joaquin Valley. I'm your host, Kathleen Schock, with health reporter Carrie Klein. It's March 19th, 2021. COVID has now been with us for a year, and today Carrie is here to look back at some of the biggest ways it's affected the Valley. She also reconnects with two people she spoke to earlier in the pandemic who talk about the effects in prisons and on those with compromised immune systems. Carrie, welcome back. Thanks, Kathleen. Before we look back, can we begin with our usual status report? Of course. So infection rates and death rates are continuing to improve in this area, and so are hospital occupancies. Uh, When it comes to the vaccine, um, vaccine administration is now far outpacing new cases, which is good news. Nearly three quarters of a million doses have been given here in the Valley so far, and we are not as far below average for vaccine administration as we used to be. Now, for business reopenings, Tulare County became the second Valley County to graduate out of the purple most restrictive tier of the state's reopening blueprint. It's now in red, and Mariposa County has been out for a while and is now in orange. But even though all other counties in the Valley continue to progress, that progress has slowed. The state requires a county to qualify for the next tier for two weeks before it can officially move there, but none of the remaining Valley counties have begun qualifying for the red tier just yet. And so even though there's a lot of optimism right now, um, you know, the new daily case rates are still around where they were in late October or earlier November, as health officials began warning of a winter surge. They're also where we were in mid-June before the summer surge began. That's a good reminder that we've been through so much in the last year. Take us back to March 2020, when all of this was first emerging. Right. Well, like so many places in this country, the virus really crept up on us. You know, some of the first cases we were aware of in the Valley were associated with those Princess Cruise liners that were forced to quarantine at sea before coming into port. But as we now know, the virus already had been spreading within the community at that point. And by mid-March, cities and counties were issuing local emergencies and shelter-in-place orders had come down from Governor Newsom. At the 10,000-foot view, what's happened here since then is what's happened everywhere else across the country. I mean, we've been facing um, just incredible joblessness and business closures, lost income, and the circumstances that accompany all of that, like food insecurity and a looming eviction crisis. Schools were shuttered in the middle of last spring. Virtual learning has been kind of a mixed bag for students. There's a mental health crisis. Some organizations and health departments have reported seeing spikes in suicide attempts and drug overdoses. The federal government's stimulus bills have helped with some of this, providing unemployment benefits and cash, loans to businesses, and assistance for local governments with their own bills, as well as things like rental and utility bill assistance for residents. So that was the 10,000-foot view. What do the numbers say about the virus here in the Valley? Well, since the pandemic began, more than 320,000 people in the Valley have tested positive for the virus. That's more than 11% of our entire population. And that's a disparity right there, because across the rest of the state, less than 9% of all Californians have had the virus. And then of those cases in the Valley, 4,200 of them, so that's 4,200 grandparents and loved ones and friends, have died. However, when I analyzed death data earlier in the pandemic, it was clear that far more people died in 2020 than on average, and that the official death toll related to COVID cannot account for all of those excess deaths. And that's consistent with what epidemiologists are finding all across the country. 
And it implies that either there are more health complications from COVID than we know of, or that far more people are dying indirectly from other consequences of the pandemic that are harder to quantify. And then also, like with so many health measures in this pandemic, people of color are overrepresented in these excess deaths. Early on, it also became clear that essential workers were risking their health and sometimes their lives to keep working. Let's talk about the Valley's essential workers. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And although essential workers are everywhere, um, agriculture in particular is huge in this part of the state. And, you know, multiple studies have shown elevated economic troubles, higher infection rates and higher death rates among food and ag workers than other industries. And we've had a few very tragic examples of that here in the Valley. 14 workers died and hundreds of others were infected at foster farms, poultry plants in Fresno and Merced counties. Another died in a large outbreak at Primex Farms in Kern County. Now, however, farm workers are given vaccine priority and some counties are even sending mobile clinics out to vaccinate people where they work. And of course, frontline workers in lots of industries have been at risk. You know, at the height of the winter surge, so many patients were hospitalized with COVID that hundreds of healthcare workers at a time had to be home quarantining instead of seeing patients. We can't know all of those who have died, but, you know, among them were a nurse at Kaiser Permanente in Fresno who died last spring after raising concerns about inadequate PPE at her hospital. We lost police officers in Fresno, a sheriff's deputy in Tulare County, three prison workers in Kern and Madera counties, and the list goes on and on and on. Some Valley nursing homes were also hotspots early in the pandemic. What happened with them and, and other congregate living facilities? Well, nursing homes in Fresno and Visalia are no longer among the hardest hit in the state. They had been, as you said, but the local toll has still been tremendous. In the Valley, 400 nursing home residents have died of the virus, and thousands of other residents and staff members have been infected. Another crisis has been in correctional facilities. Earlier this week, I spoke about COVID in prisons with Don Spector. He's the executive director of the prison law office. It's just been a disaster in any way you cut it, and uh, efforts to uh, decarcerate the prison population have had very limited success uh, in the political arena and in the courts, uh, which has allowed the virus to spread uh, throughout the prison system. More than half of all state prisoners have contracted the virus, and more than 200 died. And as we've reported before, the hardest hit prisons in the entire country are here in Kings County, Avenal State Prison, and the Substance Abuse Treatment Facility in Corcoran. Specter mentioned decarceration. And although the governor's office did release close to 20,000 inmates early last year, Specter said it wasn't enough, and it didn't target the most at-risk inmates. It was targeted mainly at people who are going to go home anyway, and uh, those tend to be the younger folks who are in there for shorter sentences instead of the older uh, people with medical conditions. There's also this question of herd immunity. In some prisons, like Avenal, where 9 out of 10 inmates have already contracted the virus, are they safe now? Spectre, of course, is not a medical professional, but he says herd immunity in a prison is wishful thinking. It's a fluid population. People go in and out of there all the time. The staff come in and out of there all the time. So it's not just the same, you know, 3,000 people who are there all the time either. And so he says, just like in the general population, the vaccine is the next best thing for prisons. That program has already begun. And in fact, nearly 70,000 inmates have gotten at least one dose. 
And all of this has been with a backdrop of ever-changing guidelines and policies from the state, which I know some of your sources have been unhappy about. Right. So because the response to this pandemic has been so decentralized, every county is at the mercy of guidelines set by its health department, and all of those are in turn guided by the governor. You know, early on, Newsom was praised for being the first governor in the country to issue shelter-in-place orders. But as time wore on and it became clear this pandemic was going to last, those orders needed to evolve. And so the state later established a county monitoring system where each county was getting individual attention from the state. That turned into the blueprint for a safer economy. And that's in effect now. That's what assigns each county a color, according to how businesses there can reopen. And then, of course, around the holidays, Newsom put that blueprint on hold in favor of regional shelter-in-place orders. So just like that sounds confusing, just going through it, it was confusing even to county administrators as well. And so administrators in Kern County in particular felt that Valley counties have been punished and overlooked in this blueprint in these ever-changing policies, and that overly restrictive reopening guidelines have really hurt businesses. Okay, so now we're on what many feel is the final stretch. How has the vaccine rollout gone so far? So I don't know if anyone would call the vaccine rollout smooth so far. Our allocation changes every week. There have been holdups due to weather, due to the cold chain breaking down. There was a federal backup supply and then there wasn't, uh, but things do keep chugging along. The newest development is that starting this past Monday, Californians aged 16 to 64 are now eligible if they have conditions that make them more vulnerable to the virus. Things like cancer, lung or kidney disease, an organ transplant, diabetes. And so to talk about what this means, I got back in touch with Rachel Goldring Bell. She's a 20-something psychology student in Clovis with three serious conditions, congenital heart disease, pulmonary hypertension, and an autoimmune disorder. When I spoke with her in August, she hadn't been out of her house since March. She told me this week that that couldn't last forever. She stopped counting at around 120 days, then broke her lockdown sometime after that. I was miserable. I mean, I, I was depressed. I had tons of anxiety. And when you, when you live at that heightened anxiety, heightened depression state, it's unhealthy. She worked with a therapist and her family to move beyond a narrative of fear, she called it, and just to accept certain risks. She's spent small amounts since then of time with family, including her sister, who just had a baby on the East Coast. Goldring Bell told me she actually qualified for an earlier tier of the vaccine, and she feels like some of the weight of the pandemic has been lifted. And so she's thrilled that other people like her are now eligible. I am ecstatic. I know one of my friends who has my heart disease. I'm grateful that she get. I, I'm grateful they get to get it now because I think that should have been one of the very first tiers to be able to get vaccinated. I mean, it, we are the most vulnerable being chronically sick. She has told me before that because her illnesses are internal and she looks able-bodied, she's not always taken seriously as someone with a disability. I asked her if she felt this pandemic had increased the public understanding at all around chronic conditions. And she said, not really, at least not for people like her. I feel like this pandemic, it was still censored around the older population, which I completely understand, but people don't necessarily think of young adults with chronic issues. But one thing she is excited about is how much more careful we all are about hand hygiene and protecting others from coughs and sneezes. That's a silver lining. Well, Carrie, thank you so much. Thank you, Kathleen. And thank you for all the reporting you've done throughout this pandemic. You're welcome. You've been listening to COVID-19 This Week with reporter Carrie Klein. 
I'm your host, Kathleen Schock. Thanks to our news director, Alice Daniel, and engineer, Don Weaver. We'll be back next week, and be sure to check out our other weekly podcast, Valley Edition. All this and more at kvpr.org.